Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajin Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about hymenoptera stings. So today we're diving into the fascinating world of the subset of insects and their medical significance. We'll be focusing on the order Hymenoptera, which includes bees, wasps, and ants. These insect stings are actually responsible for the largest percentage of envenomation-related deaths in the United States. The two primary encounters for humans are either accidental contact with the solitary worker insect or proximity to a disturbed nest. Most fatalities in humans occur due to an immediate hypersensitivity reaction and anaphylaxis. It's also worth noting that uh, insect bites are more common in children, but can also occur in adults who venture into forested areas or construction workers who accidentally disturb a nest or something like that. So within the order Hymenoptera, we have different families that we need to be aware of. There's the winged hymenoptera families, which include apidae, the honeybees, the bumblebees, and vispidae, which includes the yellow jackets, yellow hornets, white-faced hornets, and paper wasps. There are also the wingless hymenoptera, fomicidae, which also include ants. That's a lot of fancy terms to talk about insects, some flying, some not. They all can bite and sting you. Within the apidae family, honeybees and bumblebees are usually non-aggressive. They sting only when threatened. However, there is a notorious subset known as the killer bees, which are highly defensive and tend to swarm. They were introduced in Brazil in the 1950s, but since then have spread to other parts of South and then North America, including the southwestern United States. The barbed stingers of the apidae family often remain attached to the skin after a single sting. On the other hand, the vespidae family, which includes wasps, yellow jackets, and hornets is known to be more aggressive than the apidae relatives. These insects can be found in all parts of the United States. They can be classified as either solitary or social wasps. Social wasps, like yellow jackets and hornets, build larger nests either in the ground or in shrubbery or in trees. Solitary wasps, such as mud wasps, create smaller nests and they're often found in areas like sides of windows or awnings underneath the roof. Unlike the apidae family, the vespidae family lack the barbed stingers, so they're able to sting multiple times. Sajin, that makes me more nervous. Multiple stings? Not good. All right, so let's talk about the formidae family. This is ants. Most ants primarily bite using their pincer-shaped mandibles, However, similar to bees and wasps, certain ant species have evolved the ability to sting with their abdomens. Fire ants belonging to the Solenopsis genus are particularly aggressive. They use their mandibles or jaws to latch onto their target and then deliver multiple venomous stings. While they are predominantly found in the southeastern United States, fire ants are rapidly spreading and becoming more common in border areas. So Sajin, kick us off or Patil with the pathophys of all these Bites and stings. Yeah, so let's talk about the pathophysiology for a second. Uh, Hymenoptera stings can elicit various reactions by injecting venom through their ovipositors into their targets. 
It's interesting to note that the venom of Apidae, Vespidae, and Formicidae families share some similarities. So venoms are, first off, they're always proteins, and they're always a mixture of things. So in this case, they're a mixture of really small, low molecular weight proteolytic enzymes, lipids, carbohydrates, and high molecular weight proteins that can act as allergens. The low molecular weight components contribute to local inflammatory reactions, while the high molecular weight proteins play a role in systemic reactions like anaphylaxis. When the venom is introduced into the skin, the proteolytic enzymes actually degrade the surrounding tissue. So what proteolytic enzyme means is they're breaking down tissue, basically. That's how the other compounds are able to penetrate more deeply. Additionally, histamine release from mast cells and basophil activation uh, will occur in response to the venom, and then this causes vasodilation and triggers an inflammatory response, including edema, pain, erythema, and increased warmth. The fire ant venom, on the other hand, primarily um, has alkaloids that result in distinctive sterile pustules associated with their stings. Now, real quick, if we want to delve into anaphylaxis, you can check out podcast number 51, where we delve into just what anaphylaxis does. So it is really interesting that different people can have varying reactions to hymenoptera stings. Some may not experience a significant reaction at all. Other ones have these immune response that's very strong. Let's say there's three common types of allergic reaction to these stings. The anaphylactic, which we talked about is the most serious, which you'll check out on podcast number 51, or there's cutaneous systemic reactions or kind of large local reactions. Saji, why don't you kick us off and just do a little summary of what anaphylactic reactions are. So as a reminder, anaphylactic reactions are typically characterized by signs and symptoms of immunoglobulin E or IgE mediated allergy and typically affect multiple organ systems. Patients in anaphylaxis may experience compromised airway with symptoms like stridor, pharyngeal swelling, tongue swelling, lip swelling. They may also have compromised breathing with wheezing, tachypnea, respiratory distress, as well as compromised circulation with hypotension, dizziness, or pale skin. Systemic cutaneous reactions, such as urticaria or hives, are also commonly observed, but don't have to be present. It's really important to know that you can have anaphylaxis, you can have hypotension and wheezing, or stridor and pharyngeal swelling, even without hives. So it's really important to identify this quickly, because as we'll talk about, as we mentioned, this is the way that your patient is going to die from this sting, is through anaphylaxis. On the other hand, A cutaneous systemic reaction, or a generalized cutaneous reaction, is limited to the skin. It manifests as symptoms like itchiness or pruritus, erythema, urticaria, hives, and sometimes angioedema, which often appear in widespread areas of the skin that aren't necessarily contiguous with the sting site. And then the third type of allergic reaction is a large local reaction, which involves painful swelling and erythema localized to the skin and subcutaneous tissues adjacent to the sting site. Now, this can get pretty big. It can affect an area of up to like 10 centimeters um, contiguous with that sting site and can last for several days. It's not necessarily an infection. It really is just a localized allergic reaction. It's also interesting to consider how individuals with allergies to hymenoptera stings tend to have consistent reactions with subsequent stings. 
Observational studies and data from allergists and immunologists indicate that less than 5% of patients experience more severe reactions with subsequent stings. For those who have had only a mild reaction initially, the chances of subsequent anaphylactic reactions are quite low, less than 3%. If someone has experienced anaphylaxis once, there is a high likelihood they will have a repeat episode with another sting, with up to 60% of adults and around 30% of children experiencing it. So yeah, those are really high numbers. Yeah, and actually the allergists and immunologists actually have a treatment for patients who have anaphylaxis to hymenoptera stings. It's called hymenoptera venom immunotherapy, or HVIT. It basically involves microdosing the venom with preformed antibodies, stimulates the immune system, also kind of tricks the immune system, and provides additional antibodies to prevent severe reaction to future exposures. Um, but this is something that typically requires a monthly administration to maintain its effectiveness. Let's go through the assessment and management. So when it comes to managing a scene with bees or hornets, it's super crucial to prioritize your own safety, right? We always say EMS professional safety first. So you encounter a swarm, it's best to avoid becoming a patient yourself. Pay attention to the behavior of the bees. Are they flying into you? Are they starting to swarm around you? Are they likely trying to warn you off? It's important not to swat at them and instead leave the area calmly. If you accidentally disturb a nest, it's crucial to get away immediately. You know, seek shelter in an enclosed space like your rig or keep running until the bees stop following you. It may be necessary to get a significant distance away from initial attack location. If possible, cover your face with whatever's available um, without obstructing your vision. And I just want to share a small story. I had never been encountered with a swarm before, but a couple years ago up at Shaver Lake, which is near here, one of my kids stepped on a hornet's nest and they are very aggressive and they do chase you it's almost like the tv shows you watch and i thought oh for sure they're going to stop coming as we're running and screaming and they don't so i would highly say if this ever happens to you and you're out on a call you definitely have to take cover and go in the rig until they dissipate and i was going to say like at first i was going to say jump into the water but actually never jump into a body of water to escape bees or hornets either because they will wait for you to resurface there's been cases where swarms of bees hovered over a person in the lake, stinging them whenever they came up for air. So the best course of action is to stay calm, remove yourself from the dangerous situation and seek safety and some sort of structure, preferably if possible. That's pretty scary that they're going to hover over the water. It's like a nightmare. It's terrifying. Yeah. So moving on to assessing the patient, it's crucial to always follow your ABCs. Um, in the case of a hymenoptera sting, if anaphylaxis is suspected, it can be life-threatening and requires immediate intervention. Again, so if the patient displays symptoms like compromised airway, breathing difficulties, circulatory problems, hypotension, there is no contraindication to administering epinephrine. The dosing of epinephrine at a concentration of 1 to 1,000 is 0.01 milligrams per kilogram with a maximum dose of 0.5 milligrams. The epinephrine autoinjectors that are typically prescribed contain usually 0.1 to 0.15 milligrams for the junior or pediatric injectors and then 0.3 milligrams for adults. And remember, the outer thigh is the preferred site for administration due to its faster absorption rate compared to the outer arm or the buttock. Epinephrine can be repeated every 5 to 15 minutes until the symptoms have improved. 
In addition to epinephrine, antihistamines like Benadryl can be used along with supporting respiratory effort with high flow oxygen and intravenous fluids to support blood pressure. In some cases, controlling the airway and intubation may be necessary. Um, Again, refer to episode 51, where we talk a lot about managing the airway and all these medications in depth. It's also worth noting that in the hospital, corticosteroids such as prednisone or methylprednisolone may also be considered. We also tend to use H2 blockers like famotidine or cetirizine. These medications work by reducing systemic inflammation and the immune response to the antigen. Let's briefly talk about stinger removal. It's important to note the difference between bees and fire ants. Bees and occasionally yellow jackets have a barbed stinging apparatus that becomes lodged in the skin and rips away from the insect's body after a sting. If the insect or stinger can be flicked off from the skin immediately, it may help limit the amount of venom injected. However, if the patient presents minutes later, immediate stinger removal is not critical as the venom will already have been fully expelled. Nonetheless, remaining stingers should be eventually removed to prevent potential foreign body reactions, and to remove them, a scraping motion is recommended using a fingernail, credit card, or other flat surface. Avoid using forceps or tweezers to grab the stinger as it can squeeze it and release more venom, actually, and worsen the reaction. Fire ants, on the other hand, grasp the skin firmly with their mandibles and inflict multiple stings per insect, so it's actually important to promptly remove the fire ants. They'll just keep stinging you. So we do not have a hymenoptera sting or a bee sting protocol in our system, so I think you'd make sure you're using the anaphylaxis pathway if you're concerned for a systemic reaction. Let's go to our summary take-home points. What do you want everyone to remember about hymenoptera stings? Patio. Uh, I would say don't swat at bees or wasps. Remember scene safety in the case of nest disturbance and uh, try to run away and seek shelter. Satjin. Uh, it's important to remember that hymenoptera stings account for the most envenomation-related deaths in the U.S., and that's from anaphylaxis, so be prepared. Yeah, I think my summary take-home point is the same. It says they almost all deaths come from anaphylaxis. If you yourself as an EMS professional are allergic to bees, you know, make sure you have your own EpiPen with you um, at all times. And then um, be highly suspicious of somebody who's called for help and you can't figure out what's going on, that um, it could be to a hymenoptera sting. Stay safe out there. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, And we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks.